lesson this morning is taken from the book of Galatians. We are finished with the series on the book of James, and we are now going into a series in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than that the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God richly bless his word to our hearts. And here's Pastor Logan with the sermon for the day. Well, I still have a couple of sermons left um, before we're moving on here, and I'm really thankful to be able to preach to you from the book of Galatians. Um, this is one of the greatest explanations of the gospel and exactly what it means and what is at stake for us. So today, I want to start by reminding you, by telling you that when the gospel is twisted, the entire church is at risk. When the gospel is compromised, the church dies. The purity of the gospel, the essence of the gospel in its true and pure form is the main concern of the book of Galatians. And it is a timely passage for us in this moment we are living in. I've had a lot of time to think about what I was going to say this morning. And the truth is, I am a people pleaser. Still, after all this time, in my heart, my default mode is to be a people pleaser. Generally speaking, I think of myself as more of a shepherd than a prophet. I want to lead people 
where they'll go. Uh, I don't want to be the voice crying in the wilderness, the voice of, of condemnation. But as I've considered this week, uh, these words of Paul are re really ringing in my ears, those last verses that Pastor Mason read. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So today, that's my aim, to be a servant of Christ. Today, I want to talk about the gospel. The gospel as the only hope for our lives, the only hope for the church. And in doing so, I'm going to talk about some of the ways we pervert the gospel. How we wander from it. And how even in this week, we have seen Jesus co-opted for personal gain. Used as a prop to promote a message that is not the gospel at all. And so some of the things I'm going to say here, they may make you a little bit uneasy. And that's really not my intention. My, I don't really want to say anything politically motivated this morning. But it is my intention to preach faithfully the Word of God, despite how that might impact people's political leanings. Because what the church needs today is what it always has needed throughout history, is that for its people to speak the truth in love. To preach Christ crucified. Amen. Amen. And hopefully as we do that this morning, that good news is going to draw us together. Even in the parts where it might require us to repent and believe. So here's my outline. Point one, religion is the enemy of the gospel. Point two, we are always at risk of deserting the gospel. And point three, God offers us rescue from this present evil age. Religion is the enemy of the gospel. Galatians is a letter. It is a letter that Paul wrote to a church he planted. A church that he poured his time and energy and prayer into. A church that he loved. A church that he discipled. But at some point, God called him away. God called him on to a new mission to begin another work. As you read through the New Testament, you see that is what Paul did throughout his life. He planted a lot of churches. He participated in many different ministries. But at this particular church, during his absence, some new teachers came in. And they led his congregation astray. They began teaching that it is necessary for Christian converts to follow the Mosaic laws. Those things that you read about in the Old Testament, things like circumcision, following these dietary rules. They preached, these false teachers preached, that those things were necessary for salvation. That Christ's death on the cross was not enough to make a person right with God. That they were also bound to keep this extra set of rules. That they needed to do those things on top of believing in order to make themselves acceptable to God. 
And so he says this in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Okay, he, he says there, if you picked up on it, that, that the gospel is the message of the grace of Jesus Christ. That we are saved by grace, not by works. We are saved by Jesus, not by our own efforts. Verse 4, who, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. So even there, he says, this salvation, it's by grace. It is according to the will of God, not according to your will. It's according to his plan, not according to your plan, not according to your effort. Even the faith you have was according to God's plan to save you. Not by anything you did to achieve your salvation. So from the very outset, these opening lines Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that the gospel begins and ends with Christ. Amen. And if we add anything to it, it is no longer the gospel. I'm sure you have heard other pastors say this before, but the, the math is pretty simple. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Salvation is in Christ alone, not in what we do for God. If we say that we're saved by Jesus plus something, then, then what we're really saying is we're saved by this extra something. We're saying that Jesus did a lot on the cross. He did a lot to help save us. But this other thing that I do is what seals the deal. Paul says that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That is no gospel at all. Why? Well, it's no gospel because we will always be doomed if it's up to us to make ourselves right before God. I really love what Martin Luther has to say on these verses. He points out that the gospel tells us right here at the beginning that we are sinners, right? Jesus came to rescue us. He came to give himself for our sins. The gospel tells us that we are sinners, and that's important because that is the very thing Satan wants to accuse you of every day. Our enemy wants you to hear this. You are a sinner. You are unworthy. You need to do more. You need to perform. You need to earn it. You need to live up to your expectations. You do not deserve to be with God. Our enemy, he accuses us. He attacks the certainty that we have in Christ because he wants us to turn away from it. He wants us to try and earn it. He wants us to turn from the gospel of grace and go back to a dead religion of our own works. But if we believe the gospel, 
if Christ alone is the one who we are clinging to for righteousness? Well, then when Satan tells you that you're a sinner, then Luther says, you can rejoice. You can say, of course I'm a sinner. That's why Jesus had to come. When you hear him say, you are unworthy, instead of being anxious, instead of being fearful, instead of trying to earn it, you can say, it's true, I am unworthy. But Christ is worthy. And my life is hidden in him. His blood covers my sin. Thank you for reminding me, Satan. Now go tell those lies to someone else. The gospel's good news. The gospel is amazing news. The gospel is news that is, it seems too good to be true. That we're saved by grace. That we don't have to earn it. That we can't earn it. And, and you know what? Because it is so good, we are constantly at risk of losing it. Because nothing else in the world works like this, we are always tempted to turn away, to forget, to believe something else. I I often feel like the gospel is like a a fish that you just pulled out of the water, right? The the minute you think you have a grasp on him, he starts to wiggle and you got to try to grab him again. The minute you think you have the gospel secured in your mind, temptation arises and you got to grab hold of it again. And that's why we have the church, right? That's why we have sermons every week. That's why we have fellowship with other believers. That's why we read the word during the week. That's why whenever we pray, we start by reminding ourselves that God is our father. We do these things to keep a grip on the gospel reality. To let God remind us again of that glorious truth. That we are accepted not by works, but by grace. There is a huge difference between the gospel and religion. The gospel is a living salvation from God. But religion cannot save anyone. It can only trap you under the weight of tradition, law, And a self-righteous independence from God that says, actually, I saved myself. And that brings me to this week. You know, when I saw the images of our president marching across Lafayette Park to stand in front of St. John's Church and hold up a Bible, For a photo op to serve his political ends, I was shocked. I've never seen anything like that. Before that moment, he had had the park forcibly cleared of men and women who were protesting racism and injustice. The reporters said they had to walk through the clouds of tear gas to go take these pictures. And he took the word of God and he stood in front of a church and he tacked this picture 
on to the end of his speech about his political agenda. Now, since that moment, a lot of Christians have spoken out. Rightfully so. I heard one pastor in Baltimore say that when he watched that happen on television, the only thing he could think about was the abomination of desolation standing in the temple. That it was this blatant perversion of the message of Christ. And it was done so brazenly. Even the late night comedians, I'm sure you saw, they were making jokes about it, poking fun, pointing out the, the huge dissonance between the message that was being proclaimed that moment and also what the Bible actually teaches. It seems like, by and large, a lot of the world understands that this is a problem. But there are also a lot of Christians who have taken the president's side this week. Or who've simply just been quiet about it and said, you know, this is a political issue. This is not something the church should get involved with. But I want to tell you this morning, this is just another face of an age-old problem. That moment in front of that church was literally a picture of what caused Paul to write this letter. Religion is the enemy of the gospel. Religion is about law. It is about tradition. It is about power. It is about control. It is about the glory of man. Religion is about human beings saying that I can save myself by my own might. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can storm the gates of heaven. Religion says I have the right to stand in the presence of God because I have done the right things. And therefore he should let me in. But the gospel is the opposite of all that. The gospel is about God dying to redeem a people who are hopelessly trapped by evil. It is about Christ giving away his righteousness, giving away his power so that we weak sinners could live. The gospel tells us that the way up is to bow down. That the way to win is to lose. That victory comes through sacrifice. That the meek inherit the earth. That the ones who get the kingdom are the poor in spirit. The people who say, I come empty-handed before God and with no hope except His grace. Make no mistake, religion is the enemy of the gospel. But the second point this morning is we are all at risk of deserting the gospel. Every one of us. See, I'm nervous about mentioning the president in a sermon. My fear is twofold. On one hand, I'm, I'm worried that if I stand up here, there are people already checking out. They're already saying, this guy is too political. I don't want to listen to what he has to say. And you're not going to hear anything else that I'm going to say. That's one of my fears. My other fear is that in this context, 
in Boston, especially in a very progressive community. Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir here. Maybe a lot of you are already in agreement with what I'm saying. And, and so you're thinking about those people. Those people out there who really need to get their act together. Those people who need to get Jesus and stop distorting the gospel. But if Galatians tells us anything, it tells us that if we aren't careful, we are all at risk. We are all at risk of deserting the gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Martin Luther, he says it takes 10 years. It takes 10 years to disciple a church. 10 years of gospel preaching to root them in sound doctrine. 10 years of living and walking alongside of them to begin seeing the church cultivate a life of love and service that displays Christ to the world. He says it takes 10 years, but it only takes a few minutes for someone to come along and lead them astray. And I think that we have seen in these past few years much of the evangelical church gone astray by adding to the gospel, just like we're seeing right here. Now, they're not adding to the gospel like the Judaizers that Paul's writing about. There, there aren't that many evangelicals who think we need to follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws. Not a lot of people enforcing circumcision and dietary restrictions, but I do think a lot of us are adding to the gospel. We are adding something to the message of Christ. And I think what you would call it is the gospel of power. That our salvation comes not through Jesus alone, but through Jesus plus dominance in the culture. Through Jesus plus enforcing an agenda. Through Jesus plus forcing a Christian morality on a non-believing world. And that's what's really bothering me today. That is what feels so threatening to the church when I see it. Make no mistake, the gospel does not call us to seek power to save ourselves from the world. It calls us to trust Christ and to follow him in a fallen world. It is terrible. It really is terrible the reality of our country now, that there is so much inequity, that there is this devastating legacy from slavery, from Jim Crow, from civil rights, from unjust laws, that there is white supremacy that shapes much of our culture and, and impacts the church as well. That there is so much systemic injustice and personal sin. There's so much pain. There's so much oppression. And you know, Jesus, he knew that personally. 
the passion narratives, the story of the crucifixion is the story of powerful men beating and murdering our Savior. Our Savior, our almighty Savior, who decided to come not as a powerful tyrant, but as a weak and lowly carpenter. Our Savior, who out of his own mouth in Luke chapter 4 declared that this was his purpose. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The gospel speaks especially to those who suffer. So when I see a political leader sharing this triumphalist, hateful rhetoric, and then grabbing a Bible and pulling the church into it as if to say, this is what Christianity is all about. I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm grieving that. And when I see Christians praising him for it, I cannot understand it. I'm with Paul. I'm astonished that we are so quick to abandon the suffering servant for the gospel of power. And folks, please, I want you to understand, this isn't just politics, right? I, I want people to know Jesus. I want the world to see that he alone has the power to save. I want them to remember that the trajectory of Jesus's life looked a lot more like George Floyd's than it did Donald Trump's. Jesus chose to die for you. And I can't believe people are being fooled by this. I'm astonished. There's two sides to this. There are. And I want to touch on that as well. I, I don't know exactly how to say it. I worry that I, my, I, I, don't, I won't say, say this right. But I do think it's true that for us in Boston, I think our sin, by and large, isn't this. I don't think we are as much buying into this gospel of power. But... I want to encourage us to be careful, lest we just point at other people and say they're bad. We have to be careful that we don't let our pain and our anger at the injustice we're seeing bring us to a place where we lose the gospel as well. Where we start to believe that what saves a person is not Christ alone, but, but Christ plus, I don't know, getting it. Christ plus seeing the world the way we see it. Christ plus enlightenment, I don't know. I bring it up especially because in the last couple of weeks, I've seen some Christians who I know and love promoting violence. 
I'm not exactly sure why, I can guess. I'm sure part of it's because they feel pain, because they're angry, or because they want to be allies, and they're afraid of being viewed as racist, or being on the wrong side of history. But I, I want to say, if we truly follow this suffering servant that we're talking about, if his spirit is the one that dwells in us, then we cannot live out of anger and revenge. We cannot openly promote what Christ clearly condemns. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Romans chapter 12, it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we can protest. We can even be angry while we protest, but we can't sin. Following Christ is costly for everyone. It's costly because we are required to choose the narrow path that the world will reject from both sides. And I want to be careful. I don't want to equivocate here, okay? I, I don't... I don't, when I say the world rejects it from both sides, I don't mean that I think the problems are equal on both sides. I think 400 years of slavery and injustice and white supremacy have created a broken system. The murder that we've seen, this stuff is terrible. And I recognize that as a young white male, I'm probably not the best authority on this subject. I don't really understand injustice the way other people do. But more than any other human being's perspective, what I want to call you to this morning is to the eternal truth of God's word. I want to call you to the same thing Paul is calling you to, to accept no other gospel, to trust in nothing else for your salvation but the blood of Christ. Yeah. To believe in the redemption that he is promising to this world. This is not the first time in history that Christians have been called to live faithful lives in a broken world that hates them. And in a time like this, it's crucial that we fix our eyes on him. That we do not fall to the left or the right. That we do not suppose our salvation can be won by our own righteousness. Nor do we tolerate those who manipulate the gospel for their own ends. Paul doesn't mince words. He says, Some people are throwing you into confusion. And they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. 
The problem's nothing new. And we have to be careful to cling to the truth. It's nothing new, and we are always, every one of us, at risk. And that brings me to my last point, which is simply this. God offers us rescue from the present evil age. There's a lot packed in to these opening lines of Galatians. He wants to give us a good idea of where he's headed, that he's going to talk about precisely what the gospel is and what it isn't. And we're going to unpack that in the coming weeks. But here in verse 4, he gives us a glimpse, this great word of hope that I really needed to hear this week. It actually starts in verse 3. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself from our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a word of hope there. He reminds us of one of the great joys of our salvation. One thing that separates the true gospel from all of those false ones. Jesus promises to rescue us from this present evil age. Christianity is a faith centered around rescue. Our rescue. Your rescue. In times like this, the world can seem hopelessly broken. Over the last few weeks, months, years, we have seen so many disturbing images. We've heard so many stories shared. We've read so many opinions written. It's overwhelming. The burden of sin and its impact on the world, it just seems like too much. More than we could ever hope to overcome. And it's precisely in moments like this that God reminds us we're actually seeing the world clearly. It is too much for us. We cannot overcome sin on our own. We need to be rescued. There is no power on earth that can fix things. There is no politician that can save us. There is no protest that will ever produce the peace that we desire. There's no thought peace that someone will read and persuade everyone to see the right way. But God has sent his son to rescue us. To do what we cannot do. He alone can rescue us from this present evil age, and not by works, but by repentance. 
by humbling ourselves and saying, I'm sure you've heard that story, like, like G.K. Chesterton did when, when the newspaper asked, what's the problem with the world? And he wrote back the one word response, I am. We need to look at the problem in this world and say, I am the problem. I need to be rescued just as much as everyone else. And when we're willing to say that, Scripture tells us that he has sent his son, sent him to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to pay the debt that we owed for our power-seeking for our self-righteousness, for our racism, for our injustice, for our judgmental hearts, and for our faithless despair. Jesus' blood is what we need. He's all we need. Jesus plus nothing. That means to come to Jesus, we don't have to follow the right steps. We don't have to say some particularly beautiful prayer because it's not about us. It's about his salvation freely given. And so that means today, if you feel lost, if you feel trapped, know that Jesus has promised to rescue you completely. Not just a little bit. The gospel isn't a starter kit to help you get off the right track, to get over the hump, and then you've got to do the rest. It's full salvation. And it's not far off. It's not some day of deliverance that is way off in the future. It is right now. He has come for this present evil age. That means that right now, God sees your pain. He sees the hurt that you feel, and he is not far off. His son is here to rescue you even now. His spirit is moving right now in this place. Do you feel it? So my call for you this morning, the call for all of us is to cry out to him. His rescue is what we need. And not just once, but every single day. We need to go to him and, and cry out for rescue. Rescue from the sin in our hearts. We need to say, purify me. Cleanse me. And for rescue from the sin in our, in our systems that make up this world. To say, forgive us for the injustice, for the systemic sin that we allow to continue. We need to ask him for grace to believe the promises of the gospel. That we're redeemed not by our works. And we need to ask in faith that we might be able to follow him. Even in the face of great opposition. That we might seek justice. And that we might trust in his way of peace and sacrifice. No matter what the world may say. He promised he will rescue those whose life is hidden in him. Amen. Let's pray.